Hi, I'm your host, Zach Hale, and this is Play the Ink, a podcast where we discuss the composer-performer relationship with living musicians and the way that the composer can change the way the performer performs and the performer change the way the composer composes. Today on the show, we have James O'Callaghan, who is a composer and sound artist based in Montreal and is praised for his mastery of materials and musical form. Originally from Mount Curie, British Columbia, he received a Master of Music degree in composition from McGill University in 2014, studying with Philippe LaRue, and received a Bachelor of Fine Arts Honors degree from Simon Fraser University in 2011. He also co-founded the Montreal Contemporary Music Lab, served on the Artistic Committee of Codexas, and served as a National Counselor of the Canadian League of Composers. Next, we have flautist Jeffrey Stonehouse, who is a co-founder and artistic director of Ensemble Paramia Beau, a new music group formed in 2010 whose mandate is to promote music by emerging Canadian and Quebecois composers. A proud ambassador of local contemporary music, the ensemble is the winner of the Opus 23rd edition Performer of the Year Prize and was nominated for the Juno 2020 Prize Classical Album of the Year Solo or Chamber Music for their album Alone and Unalone in partnership with composer James O'Callaghan. He is the winner of the Soundscape International Festival Performer Prize and is currently interim flautist with the Nouvelle Ensemble Moderne and serves as an administrator on the board of Groupe Le Vivier. He holds degrees from McGill University, Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal, and Wilfrid Laurier University. So we're going to talk to uh, each of you uh, individually first just to st- see um your path in music so i wanted to start with james and it's something interesting for me because just reading about you a bit online um, i don't believe that you say you've played an instrument you didn't learn an instrument in school so how did you get into music and you can correct me if i'm wrong with that instrument part um, but how did you get into music and then kind of go into the university and do all that stuff thanks so much for having us on zach it's a pleasure to be here um so yeah, in terms of my musical background, I um, grew up in a tiny little town called uh, Mount Currie, Mount Currie Pemberton area. It's a bit north of Whistler in British Columbia and um, didn't have too much access to things like music lessons there. Apparently there was one piano teacher in town who was really mean, so my parents didn't want me to enroll with them. And uh, so didn't really have any music in my early life until we um, moved to the city, Vancouver. Um, And it wasn't really until my uh, undergraduate that I started to study music. And I took a course in electroacoustic music at Simon Fraser University, not really knowing what it was. But at that time, I had started really to get into like electronic dance music. And I was kind of making some on my own through a tracker that I downloaded online, very self-taught. And um, as I was doing this for fun, I found that what I, you know, I kind of wasn't so interested in coming up with tunes and things like that, but I was really interested in working on the sound. And so like, I thought maybe I'd go into production or something like that. And discovering electroacoustic music, where there's a whole world of art that's based around that was so exciting to me. And so that was really my hook into music. And then at the time at Simon Fraser, it was a requirement to also take instrumental composition classes, which I took at first begrudgingly, but uh, I really fell in love with the process of collaboration um, where in electronic music, you have immediate feedback on the sound that you're working on. You can kind of sculpt as you go, but if you're composing for somebody else to interpret later, whether it's written or communicated in some other means, 
there's this kind of time delay or some delay between you and the realization of the sound, which I found so compelling and so interesting and that kind of excitement of, you know, writing something, kind of having a sense of how it sounds and then delivering it to a performer in that moment of, wow, okay, this is amazing. It's, you know, it's better than I thought, or this I have to change, or this, you know, all of these things. It's such an exhilarating thing. So um, little by little, I started getting really hooked on writing instrumental music. And now I'm a little bit all over the place. I mix the two very often. I mix installations. I'm back to making electronic dance music again after a break of about 15 minutes, uh, 15 years. Yeah, I wish it was 15 <laughs> minutes. Um, and uh, working more and more with multimedia in my work. Um, my studies were also interdisciplinary. So I initially went to school to do film and uh, ended up veering into music. And so uh, yeah, drawing on all of those different experiences, I try to make uh, multi-sensorial, multimedia work um, here and there in different uh, formats, but predominantly I work in um, the classical music world with uh, new music ensembles and uh, things like that. So here I am. Very nice. So who, uh, just interesting for me, who were some of the early like kind of electronic music people that you heard in undergrad that kind of said, oh, that's really interesting? Like uh, mentors? Uh, um, or even, you know, historical figures, you know, that were doing electronic music. Um, I don't know, Stockels and Zanakis, and you could name a bunch of other people. But Sure, in, in that world. Um, well, so I think going to school at Simon Fraser was a real revelation because um, the genre soundscape music that's developed there by Barry Truax, Hildegard Westerkamp, R. Mary Schaefer, and, and others uh, really kind of made me inspired by the idea that music can be something more than just sounds, right? So I was really hooked on, okay, there's this genre of electroacoustic music where you can really sculpt the sound. And I was so interested in uh, composers like Bernard Parmigiani or, um, uh, you know, in the more popular world, I was really into like experimental electronic music, like, uh, you know, industrial stuff like Skinny Puppy and Strizli Neubauten or Amon Tobin doing more like IDM. And, um, finding a genre of music that was really like, okay, it can be about something. It can be about the broader world. We can talk about, you know, social issues. We can talk about our personal identity. We can talk about the environment that we live in through music. Um, it was pretty uh, exhilarating for me. And so that's something that I keep with me in my practice. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But then also, so you went to McGill and I forget who you studied with. Was it Philippe? Yeah, with, I studied or... with Philippe Leroux and uh, was kind of lucky because I had applied to University of Montreal as well, where he was on a temporary contract and had kind of wanted to work with him as somebody who really had a foot both in the acousmatic world, having studied at the GRM and uh, in the sort of mixed instrumental world, having taught at and worked at IRCAM. And so it was really just luck of the draw that he ended up switching to McGill at the time that I uh, ended up doing my master's there. So. Uh, ended up working with him. He's a great teacher there. Very cool. Yeah, like I said, he was on the last, um, or not the last one, the second episode we had, and that was something I very, to me, was very interesting that he was like, yeah, basically acousmatic or whatever, you know, electronic music kind of person, and that's where all of his inspiration comes from. So it's interesting because I feel that way in your music too. When I listen to it, it's uh, very similar in that kind of way where it comes from that. Um, and I also just wanted to say, I was listening to, um, you have a YouTube video, um, on the ear forum that I was listening to talking about alone and unalone, which 
I thought was very interesting. We'll we'll post the video if people want to watch it afterwards. Um, but I feel like a lot of your work, it, like especially in that piece, is just so interesting. The philosophical or kind of like really thinking about how do people listen internally or what is external and these kind of ideas. And again, like I, I think a lot of times you hear people talk about music and it'll be about, um, you know, I wanted to do this tone cluster. I wanted to do this. And it seems like you're very more philosophical and thinking about um, like the situation that people are in or what uh, experience they're going to have and what's interesting about the experience, you know, even of I'm in a room, I'm sitting down, I'm listening, I have things going on in my life. So, um, yeah, I think that's interesting. So what, what made that kind of, what made that more interesting to you to kind of think about those kind of things rather than just like purely musical, but like, like you said, talk about political things or philosophical things or whatever like that. Gee, I don't know. I think I can't help myself. Right. <laughs> um, maybe <laughs> it's some, you know, a byproduct of like having had, you know, thanks to having had an interdisciplinary education, I have a lot to uh, draw upon and a lot of interests that I'm, you know, quite inquisitive about. So um connecting to all of those different things, whether it's, you know, performing arts, philosophy, theater, political science, like uh, social experiences, like all of those things are nourish me and um, are how bodies move in space, you know, all of this stuff, right? So all of those questions were a lot more interesting to me in my studies than going into the kind of hermetic uh, experience that we often have in music pedagogy, where it's like, okay, now let's just look at these notes on the page and see what the relationship between them is, you know, like it's so mm -hmm. divorced from how I experienced uh, music going to concerts that uh, I think that, you know, can't, like I said, I can't help myself. <laughs> Very nice. Well, then we'll go to Jeff, um, who is, you know, our performer in this. So we always have a composer and then a performer. So we'll talk to Jeff about performing. Um, so you're a flautist, and and I think I said that right. I know that people say flutist or flautist. I pick flautist, so I'm just going to go with that one. You, you go with whichever <laughs> you prefer. <laughs> flutist good. in yeah. North America tends to happen pretty often, too. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll go with flautist, um, but interested like how you got into music, kind of what made you do that and what made you get into new music and then eventually, you know, want to create your, your own ensemble, which is Ensemble Paramiabo. Yeah, well, uh, contrary to James, I think my, um, generally, uh, my experience with music was actually quite a traditional one. Uh, for my parents, it was really important that each of their kids had, you know, the traditional piano lessons. Uh, so that's where I started, was on the piano. I hated it. I was terrible. Um, but at home, one of the, the basic rules was you had to, had to take music lessons. So somehow I wound up at the flute after going to some uh, community band uh, <laughs> uh, clinic for the instrument and eventually uh, wound up studying at university. At Wilfrid Laurier um, was probably where I first really fell in love with uh, with new music and also with the process of collaborating with composers um, at Wilfrid Laurier, which is, so it's in Waterloo, Ontario. And um, every two weeks there, there was a student composers concert. And as of my first year there, for whatever reason, I, um, a lot of my social circle uh, included uh, a lot of composers. And since I was a performer interested and open to 
uh, to playing their works, it, it, it became like a kind of a ritual every month that I, I, I would learn tons of pieces for these uh, student composer uh, concerts. And I think that that's where, where it started for me. So I, I did that all through my undergrad. And when I moved to Montreal at the conservatoire, uh, so the Montreal Conservatoire, I was kind of more in an, an orchestral profile for the, for the beginning. And the um, playing new music was something that, that I didn't have for probably the first two years in Montreal. And, and I really missed it. Um, and that's when I met the other players in Ensemble Paramirabeau um, in uh, a contemporary music class at the Conservatoire. And I, I've always had sort of a, I don't know, some kind of desire to start things and, and uh, to, to create events. Um, and, and while I was in my master's, that turned into a concert series that was hosted in my house. Uh, it was a loft. Um, and so that sort of snowballed into uh, sort of the ensemble. Um, and Paramirable grew from there uh, with, uh, so, it's, so we're a sextet, flute, clarinet, violin, cello, piano, percussion. Um, and Zach, you played with us here on one of our albums. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that, that, that I, through new music, I discovered that I, I, I could sort of realize this need that I have to, to create new things. To, uh, to to mobilize groups to um, to just get things happening. It's it's something that I've always I don't know. It's something that I've always enjoyed. Cool. I so it's interesting. So I guess that that's pretty amazing. So you said every two weeks at Wilfrid Laurier they had a composer's concert. I mean, I, I don't know if they still do. I don't know if they still do that. But it um, wh what it meant actually was that both performers and composers were required super early to learn how to organize rehearsals, how to, how to structure their time, how to get groups together, um, which is something that later on in life, once we leave school, it becomes something uh, that's, if, if you don't have those skills, nothing's going to happen for you in the first couple years out of school. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that I had that exposure at that point, because I'm, I'm sure that life would have been very different after, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I just so I have to say, I mean, having played with you, like I, like you said, for, I think it was between like twenty thirteen and sixteen, maybe around there, twenty fifteen, yeah, somewhere, right. somewhere in that area. I I have to say, I remember the first time because it's like orchestra you get, but it's like chamber music where you don't have a conductor. It was just like you know, in school you like kind of roll in and be like, I don't know, I'll just wait for somebody to tell me when to come in, or, and I'll I'll never forget that the first time I came in. And I didn't come in right in a rehearsal with you guys. And you're like, Zach, why didn't you come in? I'm like, what bar are we at? And you're like, you don't know where you don't know where the flute cue. You don't know that violin comes on beat three of measure like 47. I'm like, no. And you're like, dude, you got to study the score. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so stupid. But I also that was great because after that, I like never wanted to feel that dumb again. So it was always like, oh, man, oh, no. I got to. I got to study the score, but it's great because like you said, then going in, people are like, man, you're really prepared. I'm like, yeah, man. Cause you, you don't know. And it's also, I mean, Hey man, it makes the music way better. And it's yeah. also, that's your homework. You don't, yeah. you know, in school, you kind of do that, you know, in the classroom, but it's like, no, no, you do that at home. Then come to the, 
rehearsal. Uh, but. Absolutely, and and the learning uh, learning that your context is super important uh, in chamber music. That is. It, in many ways, even more important than your individual part is knowing where you fit in in your environment. So uh, I hope I wasn't too mean. Was I mean? I'm sorry. No, like I said, <laughs> it was a great experience. I th you're the artistic director. You have to do that. <laughs> you have to ensure the quality of the ensemble. So yeah, that's your point. So that's interesting too. I guess so. A lot of the new music you did um, was all you know composers and like performers at that time, but so it wasn't something that where you like say for me i heard um trying to think of a piece like i heard zanakis in high school and i said well i'm going to go to college i'm going to play zanakis because he's awesome but it was more like you discovered new music through commission you know new premieres and then said hey let me look back at what's happened yeah before i actually it. discovered the repertoire probably sort of fairly late in my uh in my development as a flutist um and for sure my my, my gateway into contemporary music and contemporary repertoire in general was actually through collaboration, um, mm -hmm. which is maybe a little bit um, different than, than the way some people get into it. Yeah. You never know. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I don't know for our listeners, it could be 50, 50, it could be who knows. So, so cool. Very interesting. So then just talking about Pyramia bow again, which is the ensemble that you, um, you founded or did you co-found? Did you do it with co-founded? Co-founded. So we've, we've existed for just over 10 years now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, several recordings later, many, many tours, lots of, lots of working with James actually. We've, yeah. Uh, Which is why I picked you too. <laughs> yeah. We've had quite a long, uh, long history of collaboration uh, with James, both within the ensemble, but also uh, as a, uh, as a soloist, I've done a couple of his pieces. So I'll get into that in just a second, but just to finish this part off with Parami about what made you want to, or what made that ensemble come together like that? Like I know there's maybe some other ones, like I think Eighth Blackbird is the same configuration, but um, was it kind of just you knew you wanted to do that type of ensemble, or was it like, well, that's what flute fits into? Yeah. <laughs> no, it fits into all sorts of things. I'd probably play in a wind quintet if, if it had been based on what the flute uh, fits into. But That's true. Uh, it, it all goes back to that one contemporary music class where, uh, the, the piece that we were working on was Paramirable by Claude Vivier and the instrumentation is flute, violin, uh, cello, and piano. So that was the initial, it, it, the group actually started as a quartet and, uh, we quickly, as we were looking at repertoire, quickly realized that, um, sort of the Piero ensemble formation, uh, so to include a clarinet. And then eventually also to, to open it up to, uh, to include percussion as well, uh, just meant that we had so much more repertoire that's available because that, that uh, as you mentioned, that uh, instrumentation has become kind of a go-to uh, for contemporary music in terms of sort of that, it's like a bridging um, group between your sort of 15-piece uh, chamber orchestra and like a string quartet, I guess. It's, it's what happens mm -hmm. between the two. Yep. Cool. Okay, great. So we're already going to this territory. We can talk about how you guys started collaborating. So we'll just start off. First, how did you two meet and where did that happen? And what started the collaboration, if you can remember the the event? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you haven't always been there, James? Right. Yeah, it feels that way. Um, 
Well, for, for my part, how I remember um, encountering Onsan Paramirabo uh, was really that they were like the hot new ensemble in town, you know, like uh, coming to Montreal to study composition and having always been in these kind of like structured frameworks. Like for me, I didn't, where I did my um, undergrad, we had no uh, musicians even. It was only a composition program. So they hired professional musicians every term for the student composers to write for. And uh, coming out of that and moving to Montreal was kind of the first time I really like worked with performers of my own age or training level, right? And so um, we didn't get a lot of that kind of structure at school. And so that's part of the reason that we um, a group of uh, composers there uh, started the Montreal Contemporary Music Lab, which was uh, still ongoing. Uh, it's amazing. Um, uh, summer workshop series great, great, great uh, where uh, composers and performers are brought together to kind of collaborate and talk about collaboration and talk about, you know, what makes a healthy collaboration and everything that goes into that kind of thing. Trying to look at, you know, professional development and music making from the perspective, like by and for emerging artists, right? So, um, I think it may have been through that that we first met Para Mirabeau that um, on the very first year, yeah, uh, the members independently were performers uh, that were part of the program. And um, that was the first summer that I was in Montreal. And, um, and they kind of got shuffled around and played uh, in different combinations, different composers' works, but uh, did uh, some work together as well. And um, that's at least how I kind of started to work with them. And then from there, I think it was just we, we knew who each other were. And I started to, you know, do tech for some of their concerts because I you know, started to become known as a person who could handle sound equipment and uh, run live sound for chamber music. So uh, I helped them out with a few shows like that. And I think a, a little ways down the road, um, it was uh, Gabriel Gingras, the pianist, the original pianist of the ensemble, who, um, well, for, Jeff brought me, brought her up to me and said, I think Gabriel has something that she wants to say to you after like one show that um, <laughs> we, we had done together where I was the tech. And uh, she said, James, would you write us a piece? <laughs> and so that was the, uh, one of my first commissions, actually, um, really uh, from an ensemble. I had like maybe a couple before then, but yeah. Um, very early kind of uh and uh yeah right and that was on one of our very first programs that uh, completely devoted to commissions so it was the the Pet Sebastian program right. in 2015 mm -hmm. right 2015 like yeah yeah that's true it was before you were doing a lot of kind of mixed stuff and now it's almost all you do is yeah <laughs> all yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um so that yeah it was great to to be involved in that and from having had a kind of working uh, relationship already um, through uh, these other things. I felt already quite kind of comfortable with the ensemble and knew what they were capable of. And so like right out of the get-go, I thought this is a group that I can make things happen with and I can take risks with. And um, so from the beginning, I've always just felt so empowered and excited uh, to work with this group. And I think that we feed off of that energy. I mean, I think... Jeff describes himself well as somebody who like really likes to make things happen and makes make events and make people feel invited. And so that just working with that energy is so inspiring and um, motivating. Yeah, it, it, the feeling's mutual though, because I, I remember very clearly that one of the first things that you did with us in working towards that 
that first piece among them, uh, you had us all in in a small room at the conservatory recording. Uh, I remember there being a fight scene. I remember there being our there was their footsteps throwing things. Anyway, it, it, and it was this <laughs> all kinds of malarkey. Exactly. This this very. Um, I don't know. We we I think we we felt so we trusted you uh, to to go places that maybe we we wouldn't have with someone else, perhaps. So that's crazy. That was the first one. I didn't realize that because I think I remember playing something. I forget it was a room somewhere where it was like an audition, and I think it was for Paramia Bow. I wasn't playing in it. I don't think, or maybe I played one piece, but I think we played that because I remember helping you set up the equipment, James. And I can't remember <laughs> where it was. But now I'm thinking about. I was like, that probably was 2015. Wow. Yeah. Well, like, I, it, I don't know whether yeah. that was the premiere or not. That you you would have helped. Maybe maybe you did. But the we definitely played that piece a lot in the subsequent years. It's one of from our from our repertoire. It's probably one of the pieces that we performed the most frequently, actually. And yeah. Similarly, it's I think my most performed work of chamber music. So that just goes to show the kind of strength of the collaboration that we have and. And the kind of risk-taking that we do, because I wrote that work very much with the idea this will never be played again. You know, we say in new music, often <laughs> the world premiere is often also the world dernier. But like with this piece, I, I went in with that, like, okay, this is how it is. You know, I'm not going to try to like minimize my vision for this to make it something that's transportable. I'm obsessed with this space that the work was going to be premiered in, the Chapelle Historique de Bon Pasteur. I want to use the back room and do these funny things with like the players moving between the two spaces and reflections in the glass. And I want to put speakers in weird places. And so all these things in the piece where it's like, this is a site specific work and probably it'll never be played again. And since then it's, you know, <laughs> Jeff's come up with all kinds of uh, interesting solutions for ways of replicating the experience or transforming the experience of the work into other spaces. And I've had to do the same since more and more groups are wanting to play it all over the world. So um, it's, uh, yeah, thanks to Jeff's fearlessness in part that uh, I felt uh, emboldened to take risks with this work. And that energy we have together makes, I think, uh, makes the magic happen so it's great to work with them so just for the listeners so this is um just to say the piece it's called among am ah is correct yeah that's right so three three words and can we talk about maybe just the piece for other people and they can listen to it online but um maybe what did you guys do when you collaborated with it like did you do workshops on it or was it kind of like here's the piece and just ask me some questions and then just maybe we can talk about the work too like what makes it uh, interesting for you, James, and also Jeff, and and what it entails, you know, just for people who haven't listened to it yet. Sure, my my recollection is there was a bit of a workshop process um, that the, I think we we hadn't really formalized how we how we approached collaborations at that stage. I think we were, we were sort of stumbling through it um, along with the the premiere of that of that work, and actually that whole the whole concert that was the perturbation. Uh, Initial premieres concert basically for Ensemble Paramirabo. Um, so there, I I remember that there were those uh, recording sessions for sure. I also remember rehearsals that happened in Gabriel's uh, brother's house with oh, a dog yeah. on the ground. You remember right. that? <laughs> yeah, totally. Because <laughs> you know a young new music ensemble 
yeah. we couldn't afford anything. So and I, that I even was where remember we were bringing like everything into that little home, kind of maybe unnecessarily. Like everyone had a <laughs> mic. I would wear like cables running speakers. everywhere. I had all the speakers <laughs> there, and it was kind of like we don't necessarily need to test all of this out before we get in the space. But <laughs> um, when you're young, although right? there was a lot, like there are speak there are speakers inside the piano. Like there 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 were there were certain aspects that you did need the tech there to yeah totally well and especially there were so many things in that piece that were a big experiment for me and so you know now when i work on a piece like that i kind of can imagine a bit more what it will work like technologically and not necessarily have to cart all the gear at every single rehearsal but with that one i I think yeah i really latched on to that open-mindedness that the ensemble had and how you know gung-ho they were to do everything so um i don't know whose idea it was to do the recording session but like it immediately was like okay let's you know try to do something pre-compositional and work together and you know taking those recordings they not only worked their way into the electronic part of the piece like jeff was saying i asked them to have an argument kind of a little fight scene um and that is heard in a very muffled context like off stage and the speaker that's behind the doors that enter into the concert hall um and all these little like creaks and groans and stuff and uh, chairs and unwrapping candies and things like that sounds that are kind of you normally hear in a concert hall right are sort of simulated in the speaker that's underneath the audience right so had the idea the piece, of... the piece actually you have like two worlds that collide actually because there's the experience of being a listener in a concert where yes you hear the performer but you also hear those extraneous noises that aren't part of a performance normally but within Among Emma, those two things meet. And it's like, it's not possible to distinguish which is which. So so those sounds that are actually sort of the, I'm almost an irritant sometimes, become part of the performance. It's almost John Cageian in a bit. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And we have lot, lots yeah. of examples of experimental composers who are really interested in this kind of thing. You know, like there are like Michael Pissarro pieces where you're meant to leave the window open, right? So you can hear what's happening outside. And so, um, you know, we're beyond the first, uh, far from the first to think about these things. But uh, mm-hmm. I was really interested in the way that that space and this ensemble kind of invited that. Um, and for me, using electronics to try to really kind of make this weird uncanny simulation of those experiences where you're you're it's clear at some points where things are fake right like there's a knock at the door at one point and it felt so real even rehearsing it that you know the um, person who ran the space came running in like what is it and it's like oh no this is part of the piece right um <laughs> but uh in one performance later you know like you kind of get the joke quickly enough and there are things in the piece like the pianist knocks on the lid of the piano in the same rhythm it's kind of like it becomes very clear the artifice of it right so i think even in one performer i had like an audience member who knocked on the wall or something like that to play along <laughs> but like stop no you're ruining it yeah for sure i wanted to look at the poetry and beauty of these accidental sounds that are normally annoying but when you do it it's annoying for real (laughs) yeah right become annoying again (laughs) well cool so that's the first one and so it's actually interesting so what's the most recent one that you guys have worked on um because i know like i was listening to alone and unalone which you guys did i don't know if there's something more recent that you all have done together but that one is interesting too when you talk about incidental sounds or I, i'm not sure because i haven't heard it maybe with the earbuds in but maybe talk about that one and how has that changed from the first time you guys did a collaboration to now i mean six years later maybe five years 
so what's the differences? What have you guys learned, you know, in collaborating with each other and what do you do more proficiently, I guess, you know? Yeah, well, I think that uh, on our end anyway, we've, we've, we've adjusted how we approach working with, uh, with composers and, and, and sort of the, the time and the way things are structured with the, the rehearsal process as well. Um, so, so Alone and Unalone is not the most recent of our collaborations, so, but we can talk about that. <laughs> sure. It's just the most recent one that I could kind yeah. of see, but I think it's 2019, so it's probably, yeah. God, it's old Even, news now. Right. It's old news yeah. now, <laughs> Oh my gosh, so much has transpired. So what is the most recent one, actually, so well, you could tell us? And should we go chronologically? Yeah, let's, let's first talk about Alone and Unalone. Yeah. Sure, okay, there we go. So this was um, created in the context of uh, Jeff had the wild idea or the ensemble had the wild idea to start a carte blanche series where they, um, you know, I'm not the only composer that they've had, you know, long term relationships with. And so they've been able to make a series of concerts where they invite a composer into the curatorial process and, uh, you know, say you can program a concert, we'll commission a new work of yours, play at least one other existing works, you know, in my case, they had already commissioned a work. And so it was nice to kind of have that poetry and make sort of a sequel to it in a way. And I thought of the work a little bit like that. Um, even the uh, opening, it starts with a tape solo where there's just electronics, the uh, stage is dark, and that's transformed sounds from the ending of Among Emma. So I really thought of it as kind of taking what we accomplished together in Among Emma as a point of departure. And uh, so it was in this context of the Carte Blanche show where there was a premiere. There were not playing Among Emma actually on that concert, um, but uh, three other or two other works of mine. Um, and uh, we had already done a cross Canada tour together, similar to the one that you were on uh, before, Zach, with the ensemble, where they uh, had their collaboration with the Thin Edge New Music Collective, another sextet of the same formation, uh, though they have variable formation uh in toronto and um in that case each of the ensembles propose a work for the other to uh commission and i was the proposed composer for thin edge so i wrote a new work for that formation and then paramirabo had the chance to play it on this show and so uh you know it, it almost feels like a work for them in that way because it was kind of you know they were on tour for the whole creation of it um but not quite so, you know, if we count how many pieces we like we've actually made together, it's a bit blurry in that way. But with uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Alone and Unalone, similarly, like, okay, we can take risks together. So I really want to do this piece where all the audience has headphones. And so in that work, um, and in the, in the most kind of DIY way, rather than, you know, trying to do it wireless or anything like that, um, I bought a whole bunch of headphone amplifiers and uh, laid them underneath the seat of the audience, daisy chained them together and bought hundreds of earbud headphones that are, you know, plugged in <laughs> individually. And so the whole audience has um, these earbud headphones and can hear certain sounds that are amplified from the ensemble at different moments, different electronics that kind of come in and out and move between the interior space that you're listening to in the headphones versus the shared space of the concert hall, whether that's acoustic or electroacoustic. And um, 
so you have all these different dimensions of spatiality with a piece and uh, that involves also like the same kind of disruption of the theater of the concert the ritual performers walk on stage bit by bit they have these kind of theatrical things that they need to do um, working with everyday objects that are amplified they whisper and they uh, rub paper into the microphones the piece is very inspired by ASMR um, so yeah these kinds of things yeah i thought that one was very interesting again like i was saying that um that experience which i don't know if that's new or like you said somebody has explored that before but i think that's very cool to have this very personal experience i guess i've seen it with like silent concerts at like music festivals where they'll have people wear headphones or something like that and you don't see anything and i'm talking about like edm concerts i don't know if it was bonnaroo that did that or something like that but yeah, that's pretty interesting to have that personal experience. And I think it's interesting, too, because I had that idea. But again, um, I heard this recently on a, a podcast or something. It's like ideas are dime a dozen. You know, actually doing them, executing is what matters. <laughs> so I never did this, but um, I always thought that would be interesting if you did that both radio and you could switch between signals and hear different aspects of the work. But uh, that seems like a lot of work. So <laughs> but if you ever want to take that idea, you can do it. It just seems like yeah, probably easier, like you said, very DIY to just be like, I'm just going to daisy chain this. And this work. Um, I think for the audience, though, in that in that piece, what what it creates is this this part of the one of the most interesting aspects of the experience is the 3D aspect to uh, listening, which means that some of the sounds are super, super, super close because they're in the the audience members ears. And but you also still have that experience of being at a concert and um, and the fact that the two coexist uh, is is something that I think we you, you don't normally get even in mixed works. Yeah, because it's like the, the speakers way over there and then the ensembles in the front. And now you have something that's like even here. closer. Yeah. Yeah. In your head, and, basically, which that's I mean, like you said, spatiality, even like because you can kind of I think if people watch that ear cam forum video that um, I watched you talk about James, where you can kind of say, Oh, you can kind of get away with that, you know, a little bit with like frequency spectrum. If it's like really high, it's like makes it feel like it's closer or lower things don't come as close to you. You know, you can get away with that kind of trickery, but this is like, actually like, yeah, it's right there in your earbud, <laughs> you know, instead. So very it's cool. In your brain. Well, we've had to think about those kinds of, you know, that trickery, you know, and how to um, simulate those experiences because these are concert works. But um, the next thing we did in our collaboration after this show was to go the very next week, I think, into the studio and record a record that included this piece plus the other ones that we had worked on. So immediately faced with this, like, what are these pieces if you don't have all this theatricality, if you don't have this different kind of spatialization? And so... Uh, we had to come up with all kinds of funny solutions to make the pieces exist differently on the recorded medium. And, you know, that involved like being in the studio and recording footsteps and chairs squeaking and things like that, which is kind of a, a nice um, full circle experience from that initial recording session of Among Emma as part of the compositional process. And it's like, okay, now, you know, those things we recorded so long ago made it into the electronics of the piece and then into the score for what the performers have to do. And now we're recording it again for this other recorded document. So there was something um, beautiful about that uh, poetry of experience for that project, be able to kind of come back into the studio on the other end of it and uh, make something together. 
But for us to delve even deeper into into your work, James, because yes, by by that stage, yet we commissioned the two works, but it also opened the door to really explore all of your quintets and sextets, sextets that you had at that uh, at that particular time. I know that there have been a few written since. Right. Yeah. As you were saying, the formation that you have is really one of the most common for new music. So I think it's it's the seventh uh, piano and percussion piece that I finished most recently. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, before we talk about the newest one, like we were, you said we were going to, but I, that's actually a question I had and I didn't go down to it, but you kind of touched on that. That's interesting. How do you, so how did you actually do that in the recording studio? Cause I think you said that there was three groups of people like in, in ear, like groups that you could do. And I'm guessing that you had to pick one of them, correct? Because you can't have the experience of everybody, you know, that's just part of the thing. So you have to, I guess, pick and choose. So what did you do? in that case, to make this kind of, what were the techniques you used to make this work on a record? Well, as far as that is concerned, you're right to say that in the piece, there are three different listening groups. And like at one moment, you know, one person, one group will hear like the sounds of cloth against uh, Viviana's cello while somebody else hears uh, Victor take apart his clarinet and whisper into the microphone. Um, and another group will hear Jeff take apart his flute and talk about that into the microphone, right? Um, but in the record, you hear all of it, right? And so um, it's kind of a, a more om- omniscient uh, listening experience than you get in the concert, um, except for me, uh, because when I mix the piece live, uh, I have headphones in as well, and I get all of the signals. So if anything, you're simulating the composer's ear view into the piece, if you like, for the record. I was just going to say that like it's interesting to see a work like that same thing with um among emma where it's like this will probably never be played again and thinking that that experience is so you know unique to the headphone listening environment that mm, this is going to work in other contexts and um just recently it was picked up as the soundtrack to a now a new dance film by the choreographer edward locke of la 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 human steps and so that was something kind of fell out of the sky that, you know, there's this choreographer who heard this work um, and uh, it's amazing how well it fits with the dance. Like it's like they were made for each other and it's such a beautiful collaboration um, that was totally not expected, you know, from this thing where it really exists in the concert hall and should be heard in this way to now it's the soundtrack on this, you know, beautiful film uh, where it gets to have a completely different kind of life. So cool. So what's the newest one that then you guys were saying also among or alone and unalone is not the most recent. So what is the most recent thing you guys have worked to get together on? So we just got back from a, a, a tour in France, actually, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago uh, on a project called Confluence, which uh, involved Paramirable plus two French ensembles. So Proxima Centauri and Hanatsu Mirror. Uh, from uh, Bordeaux and Strasbourg, respectfully. And we commissioned James to uh, write a piece for the the 14 musicians with this time, um, so electronics, but also video. Well, uh, yes, such an interesting opportunity coming from having, by this point, as you can imagine, this very in-depth collaboration with this one ensemble, you know, and as Jeff has said, by this point, we had already worked together on a couple of solo pieces and um, 
going knowing so intimately a third of an ensemble uh, versus two groups that I didn't know at all. You know, I'd heard of them. I'd never met them. I'd never seen them play. You know, and they had, you know, of course, wonderful reputations, but kind of trying to fit together this quite uh, funny instrumentation where you have three flutes, uh, clarinet, saxophone, three percussion, piano, digital keyboard, and then violin, viola, cello, and a dedicated electronics performer in the group, right? So between the three ensembles, this is what you get, which is like a kind of lopsided mm -hmm. sort of, um, <laughs> you know, symphonietta chamber ensemble kind of thing, right? Um, and uh, It's just yeah. a whole lot of flute, which is great. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely great. Uh, thanks to Jeff, I've written so much uh, flute music. I've almost become like what you could call a capital F, capital C flute composer <laughs> somehow, uh, uh. Um, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Uh, and I just love writing for the instrument more and more, you know, when you have a performer like Jeff, who is just so fearless and uh, so powerful. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And so in this work, you know, I wanted to give everybody different times to shine. There are all these little solos in the piece and that, you know, felt kind of interesting and risky, like knowing some people really well and not knowing other people really well. Um, but in that same spirit of risk, like, okay, I know at least I have, you know, a third of these people on my side and on board <laughs> and I'm sure that the others will be just as fearless. Uh, so I want to do something new again uh, with this work and, uh, it being one of the very first pieces that, uh, you know, kind of came out of the gate, uh, being able to do concerts again after the long pause of the pandemic lockdowns. Um, I had all this energy into working with video in me because I'd been making a lot of sort of online works that were multimedia because I you know, was not able to work in concert pieces for a while. And that really kind of scratched an old itch uh, going back to my background, um, having studied film before studying music and that always being something that I wanted to do. Uh, this was a chance like, okay, you know, like I want to make something that feels like a short film, but has, you know, this huge chamber virtuosity of three different groups playing together with it. And can, you know, can I make this happen? Right. I think, I think that I can with, you know, the people that I'm working with. So, um, yeah, huge, huge experiment, huge learning experience, but um, put all, all our heart and soul into it. And I think we really pulled something off that was uh, really a lot of fun to, to work on with four other amazing composers, um, one other from Montreal and uh, three that are based in France. Um, and so exciting to go on this tour in France and Quebec with uh, these amazing people. An amazing experience because also the the aspect of inter international collaboration was really interesting as well. Different ways of working, different ways of approaching um, the rehearsal process, for example. Um, it, the, the, the project had a full 10 days uh, at Loara, which is uh, basically a a devoted uh, residency space in, in Bordeaux uh, for the creation of, of new projects. Uh, so we had the lights, we had the, the, uh, the, the staging director, we had everything going on all at the same time for, for 10 days. So it was, uh, it's quite a trip. Wow. It's quite a trip. Yeah. To think about, you know, as you're saying, Jeff, when you're first starting this, like putting on concerts in your home, you know, like, <laughs> It wasn't quite the same. <laughs> to, like, you know, our 
and for myself as somebody who works with technology in my own work, you know, coming from the place of setting everything up yourself, you know, searching for materials as cheaply as possible and, you know, just trying to make these ambitious things happen. And, you know, for the two of us, I think in our projects, we're always like way more ambitious than our wallets or our health <laughs> could uh, maintain and we kind of have pushed ourselves, but it really felt like um, such a luxury and such a, you know, just so grateful for the chance that we can kind of come all this way to a point where we have, you know, this beautiful new space to, re you know, work on in residency for two weeks in Bordeaux. And like I was saying with the electronics in, um, Proxima Centauri, there's a dedicated electronics performer, Christophe Avel, who, you know, just knowing that there was somebody there taking care of that so that, you know, I didn't have to be constantly worrying about the electronics myself allowed me to go further and say like, okay, well, add video, you know, just add something else for me to obsess over and fret about, right? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think that's part of what makes this collaboration so rich is that we keep pushing ourselves farther and getting more and more resources to be able to dream bigger and bigger. And I'm just so grateful for that. Wow. Very cool. So that, that actually fits into great. One of the questions I had, uh, so you're talking about collaborating with other people, you know, in different countries, different, whatever. So I haven't been in Montreal in a while and, um, you know, some of our listeners and a lot of it's right now in Tampa. So <laughs> they maybe have never been to Montreal, but what's the culture like, right now in Montreal with music, um, I'm guessing it's gotten better, but I mean, how do you guys feel about it right now? What's special about Montreal? Yeah, I think uh, we're, as I'm sure is the case elsewhere, we're going through a really interesting time right now where things are shifting. There's like a generational shift in terms of leadership and in the, uh, the larger institutions. Um, like that old guard new guard kind of thing something like that. kind of yeah, yeah. With, and i think that the pandemic kind of accelerated mm -hmm. that that process there's a lot of movement right now and i think that that's really exciting um i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to see sort of what the scene will look like in in two three years because it for for its size montreal has a very uh sort of effervescent and active um new music scene that ranges from uh, sort of DIY experiences all the way to uh, several large ensembles that are like like uh, Ensemble Contemporain de Montréal or uh, Nouvel Ensemble Moderne that are really devoted to uh, either commissioning or repertoire, uh, contemporary repertoire respectively, um, or the Société de Musique Contemporaine du Québec, so the SMCQ, that, that is a, a large presenter of, of uh, contemporary music. So the, it, there's the whole range going on in the in the city all at once, and it all kind of coexists. Um, I find it a really exciting place to be uh, artistically. I don't, I don't know about you, James. It's such an exciting place to be, and that's you know, of course, what drew me there and why I wanted to move here to make work and and uh, be an artist here and study here. Um, and it's an exciting time in Montreal too, as Jeff was saying. There's a lot of you know re. Um, opening old institutions are transitioning and Jeff is hugely a part of that you know talk about a new guard coming in uh, he was just um, uh, appointed as co-artistic director of Le Vivier which is a big um, diffuser of uh, new music in Montreal a lot of different ensembles and organizations are members of this organization where they produce concerts and 
um, act as a kind of a conduit and make a lot of international exchanges happening. So the huge organization in Montreal that's developed since the time that uh, we've been here, and it's been such a an active force for making events happen and um, making collaborations happen. And now Jeff's at the helm of that. Um, he also mentioned Ensemble Contemporain de Montréal, which has been an amazing uh, contemporary music ensemble that's uh, been in the city for how long? 30 years? Some, more 30, than that, 30 35? Years, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and so they're um, just rounding off their tenure and kind of closing their doors of official productions. But uh, one of their big um, uh, contributions to uh, Canadian music has been this Generation tour um, that both Jeff and I were a part of in 2018, um, where the ensemble tours across the country, often eight or more different cities, and commissions works by four young composers. Jeff has played flute in that group quite a bit, and now the baton has been passed off, metaphorically speaking, to his ensemble, Ensemble Mirabeau, and they're going to take on this uh, cross-Canada biannual tour. Um, and uh, so Jeff has a lot on his plate, but uh, if there's anybody who's up for it, uh, he is, as you've heard, you know. So um, there's so much exciting stuff that's going on in the city, and uh, we have uh, Jeff to thank for being part of that. <laughs> but it's it, uh, the Generation pro um, Project is, is a very exciting one, and as, as James mentioned, uh, we, we both participated in that. It's it's really a platform for for national exposure for um, for the four composers that are selected because they really, as James had mentioned, the, often in in new music you it's a one off deal where you 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 perform the piece once and and it's done. In this case, it actually tours across the country, and uh, the idea hopefully is that the. The next uh, editions of it will will actually not only tour across the country, but that will also be able to take the works uh, mm -hmm. internationally as well. Cool, very, in that's very cool. So, what was the ensemble that you said did it before? And it's, it's the ECM, the Ensemble Contemporain de Montréal, so the Montreal Contemporary. You said that they're done, or they're just done doing this generations. Uh, so, their artistic director Véronique Lacroix has has announced that uh, that. The concert in May will be will be the last one, ish for the for the ensemble, uh, and specifically that the the generation competition will be uh, will be spearheaded by Paramirbo for wow. the next edition. That, that's interesting. You know, just to, I mean to hear that because I like you said I've that group's been around forever and all this stuff. So that's yeah, it's very oh, they're, exciting. They're a, a pillar of uh, of commissioning in. Uh, not and not just Montreal, like really central to the uh, the entire national scene. I would say. Um, oh, absolutely! Yeah. They, they, yeah, they don't they don't only commission um, uh, Quebec composers, but really uh, make an effort to be representative about their programming. It's it's a big loss actually for for the new music community. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next because I think that that. Uh, the role of a larger ensemble that does commissioning is is really important to maintain um, in in sort of the 
ecosystem or whatever of, of contemporary music nationally in, in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can relate to that in the States where it's similarly a huge country with very diverse scenes all over the place, you know, to, you know, to have the idea that there would be an ensemble that commissions a composer from New York, Florida, California, you know, Illinois, mm-hmm. whatever, like any of these places and then tour the country with it. Right. You know, I know these things happen, but uh, it was very rare in Canada to have this kind of experience. And um, uh, yeah, huge, huge project that we have a lot to be grateful for. And uh, so it's super exciting that it continues with Paramirabo. Yeah. Cool. Very interesting. Well, I guess we'll, um, we can end, you know, start wrapping up our conversations. So usually I guess what I ask at the end is um, what do you guys have planned for yourself? But it sounds like we've kind of heard a lot of maybe what Jeff has in the store. But no, it's James's turn though. What's, yeah, what's there you go. You, you go. <laughs> well, we'll continue to, you know, it elides very well into this. We continue to work together. And so the next piece that I'm working on is for this last concert with Ensemble Contemporary de Montréal in May. And uh, Jeff's playing on that show, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Two flutes in the <laughs> band. So uh, Jeff's one of them. And uh, yeah, it only just recently was uh, announced that this will be their last uh, official show. So um got a sense of uh, the wind in my sails, if mm. you like, uh, for working on this piece. Uh, that will be soon. Apart from that, um, at the beginning, I mentioned getting back into electronic dance music. And so I have my first album in this uh, genre coming out uh, in January with Xylem Records. Uh, they're an experimental electronic label based in Falmouth in Wales. And um, a lot of their stuff is to do with uh, live coding or kind of dark ambient. And then my record's a little bit kind of dancey in a way, sort of industrial vaporwave, if you like. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, that's exciting. And uh, otherwise, keeping going with lots and lots of projects. I'm uh, a busy composer, so I have a lot to be grateful for you know, as far as that goes. And uh, yeah. Cool. I, I want to hear your, I mean, your classical stuff and or whatever contemporary art music, but I really want to listen to your your uh, IDM or EDM stuff or whatever the genre is that you say. But yeah, that's interesting stuff. I've always liked Autiker or like Venetian snares and all that kind of cool. <laughs> sure. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I, I guess we should also mention that there's a, in, in fall of 2022, if all goes as planned, the, the, I'll be releasing my first solo flute album actually. And two of, uh, uh, two of James's pieces will be, will be on that album. So we've actually already done the, the studio time for it. Yeah. Oh, so it's recorded. Mix the recordings. It's already recorded. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So are those with electronics or are they just pure flute or are they all mixed works? Oh, they're with electronics. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's what I figured, but figured I should ask. (laughs) Cool. So that's it. That's up for you, Jeff, is, is the flute thing. I mean, that's all you got going on is the flute and, you know, there's, 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 there's lots going on, but that's, uh, uh, for me individually, definitely the solo album. The highlight. That all I figured out is pretty much the highlight. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, unless there's anything else you guys would want to mention, I think we're good to go. So I guess I'll just put in a last plug. Sure. Just drawing the thread. One of the pieces on that record that uh, was co-commissioned by Jeff, Doubt is a Way of Knowing, it will be performed in Montreal in February. Um, It's part of a series of works that I've done for solo instruments, all with Doubt in the title. And so 
those four works in the series so far will all be collected together in a concert in Montreal. Um, uh, and Jeff's, in fact, the only local performer for that. We've got two people coming from Toronto and uh, one person coming from Tennessee. So hopefully we can make it happen with the border and everything. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with the Tennessee thing, yep. <laughs> Well, I hope you guys, uh, I would like to see you, hopefully if our, our festival goes well in March with, so it's called Contemporary Art Music Project Camp that's sponsoring this podcast and all that. If we, uh, you know, keep in the wind and our sails, like you said, we keep on going and going, hopefully we can get you guys down. That would be amazing. To, uh, that'd be amazing. I know. I, I got to pull down people from Florida. If we do, or, you know, from other places to Florida. So if we do it, you know, in February, we'll get a lot of people, I'm sure. So You know, <laughs> we have snow. During that period, I, I'm coming. Yeah, I'll be there. exactly. <laughs> It'll be a great time to go to Florida. You'll take yeah. this the 75 degree Fahrenheit weather. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, thank you very much, uh, and it was great talking to you all. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Zach.